Hi everyone! You are listening to the fourth episode of the Hypothetical. My name is Jillian, and I'm your host and producer of the show. Today, I'm really happy to introduce my fourth podcast guest, Fendi, entrepreneur, plant parent, advocate, and artist. Fendi is the guy next door you'll want to get to know. I cannot believe we are finally doing this. And now, here's the show. I want to share how I first met Fendi. It's quite serendipitous. One day I went for night festival. I was following the event and I was very fascinated that there was a bartering component at the event. I've never bartered anything officially. I mean, I've bartered with my primary school friends over Pokemon cards, but nothing officially. And one of the businesses that caught my eye that was up for this bartering was Little Botany. My parents love plants, so I thought maybe let me butter something from them. So on that day, I brought whatever I had from my house that I thought was interesting and fit their buttering preferences. And then I went to the store and that's when I first met Fendi. And I was showing him that I had this very nice pair of old vintage earrings from my mom. And I was thinking to myself, oh, what are the odds that he would say yes to this? Because it's extremely niche and it was not very trendy at the moment. It was really very old school and vintage. But surprisingly, he was super game to butter with me. So Fendi is an entrepreneur. He is also many other things. But the main reason why I invited him to be on this podcast is because I think he has a very interesting story. And I think more important than that, he has an awesome personality. So maybe I'll get Fendi to share a bit more about himself. Okay, so my name is Fendi, obviously. <laughs> I'm the owner of Little Botany. It's basically my own safe space, but it's also a space for my plants. And it's a small little nursery I run in Pungo. Yes. How long have you run Little Botany for? The name Little Botany has been around for about, I think, since 2014 or so. But in 2017, I started officially documenting plants and everything special about them on my Instagram from a hobbyist point of view. And in 2019 or late 2018, we became officially a business because I have too many plants and they were filling up my entire house. And at that time, I was staying with my mom and she's like, get out. All of you and your plants, get out of the space now. And basically, that's how we found a space in Pungul and we started keeping our plants there and... It became a business shortly after. I'm just curious, why do you agree to do this barter thing? I think the businesses that agree to do this barter thing are likely to be two types of businesses. Mm-hmm. One, they are very optimistic people. <laughs> and two, they are painfully kind. Because if you know and have done this kind of events before, you would know that people come to these events and sometimes they're just there to pass comments mm-hmm. more than support you. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure doing bartering opens yourself up to a lot of strange possible interactions, right? Because it's not straightforward. You give me money, yeah. I give you a plan. Yeah. Yeah, so why do you agree to it? Didn't you fear that some weirdo will come along and give you the most random thing, hoping to get a good plan in exchange? I came in with a very open mind. And, you know, I'm easily bored. I like to try new things. <laughs> I think we talk off-air about how I get bored easily. So when this opportunity came about, I thought, you know what, let's try this out. Because it was actually a thing we used to do in the past before we become urbanized. In the past, we used to do a lot of butter and trade for food in the villages. And if it had worked at that point in time, it should possibly work now because we have more things to share. And I thought, let's try this. And I am looking for these kind of things. I'm a bit like an uncle that likes to collect a lot of vintage stuff. And I want to be surprised, you know, and mm. see what I can get. And in terms of weirdness, I'm not really scared because I think I'm weird myself. So okay. I will be unfazed, I think. <laughs> 
Okay, so if someone came up to you and wanted to give you something that was obviously not what you're looking for, you were prepared for it? Yes, so I'll be like, would you take this if I was to give this to you? <laughs> and oh, I'd be like, um, yeah, so if you are hesitating and thinking about whether you will accept this item, then that means it might not be a good trade. Mm. Or so, I'll give it effort, like, okay, you got me this, I'm willing to take it, but I will take it as a discount to this item you're getting. So mm. you, you still want to give them effort for trying but not baby them and think that you can get everything in the world with this item that they have. I really appreciate the effort because to me, it really opens you up to people when you bring your things over and you are also a target for judgment. I think it takes a lot of courage to do that and I applaud and appreciate that. So even if they give me something that I'm not particularly a fan of, I might be thinking, hey, maybe someone else might appreciate it. So I'll take it in. I can't give you a one-for-one, but I can give you a discount for the effort. And most of them, you know, they smile and they appreciate oh. it. Yeah. So net-net, you would say you had more positive butter? Yeah, all positive. Oh, I'm surprised. All I positive. am surprised. Yeah. Yes. I might have to eat my words. But <laughs> anyway, it was the buttery experience that actually left an impression. I was very apprehensive because exactly what Fendi said. I felt I was mm. being judged yep. for my collection and things that I felt were very meaningful to me. But I cannot expect someone who I've just met for the first time to fully appreciate mm. it. So I'm also taking a risk there. And maybe to me, it's really very precious. But... To a purveyor, they might look at it and be like, this looks like junk. And mm. I'm completely open to that possibility mm-hmm. because one man's meat, another man's poison, right? Yeah. But Fanny was so kind. He was so pumped about my earrings and yeah. kept telling... It was not even meant for me. It was for my <laughs> other vendor next to me. <laughs> he was uh, accepting it on her behalf, using his plans to trade for it so that he could give it to her because she said that she might wear it. Right. I thought Fanny was so kind to do that. And it was funny because I think I'm a naturally, if you know me, I'm a bit of a glass half full person. So I was thinking to myself, oh, I actually feel bad that, you know, it's something that's not going to benefit him per se. I was ready to take anything and I had no expectations. But the range he allowed me to choose from was front and centre of the store. There were so many nice plants that I could choose from. And I was just like, wow, this guy is properly generous, you know? I was just very impressed by the entire interaction. And this is the first time I'm telling him this. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> wow, that was a lot to take in. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a very short interaction. I Actually, compared Yeah, there was a crowd that came like, yes. all of a sudden and then we got lost in a bit for that. I did manage to look at the earrings. To me, they were beautiful because um, I appreciate a lot of vintage things. And I'll be honest with you, those kind of earrings you don't see it nowadays. And it's a clip-on. So that mm. means anyone can play with it. It can be a kid that wants to try it on or even me. But it's a clip-on and they're so hard to come by. And the, the bluish crystal... It's almost electrifying and glittering and it's special. So that's why, in my eyes, I thought it was worth a lot more than you think, probably. Mm. Yeah. I mean, from that short interaction, I knew he's probably special and he probably has a story. And so when I reached out to him, he was super casual and game to do this. I barely even had to explain more than one time what I'm trying to do. <laughs> and he was like, okay, sure. sure. When um, It just was so in line with my experience with him at the Port City event. Wow, this guy is genuinely just like that. He wasn't like that because it was an event and he wanted to create a good impression or anything. He was just being himself and I think that drew me in even more to his story. And that's why we are here today to learn more about him. You mentioned, Wendy, that 2014, you sort of officially, unofficially incorporated Little Botany. Before that, what were you doing and how did the interest in plants come about? Was it a very natural childhood hobby that just Mm. grew with you? I've always liked plants. I love plants. So when I was a kid, I can remember my earliest memory was when I was in the bus. I'm always looking at trees, leaves. 
I'm always inclined to nature bucks. I'm always bringing back a million of bucks in my house. My mom always screams at me. But I'm also the go-to person to pick up cockroach in the house. So nice. you need me, you know. I've always loved plants and I've always appreciated them. So whenever I'm traveling, even until now, I'm just looking at the leaves and at the trees. As a kid, I've always been inclined towards a tree. For example, I'll just go to a tree or a small sapling or a weed on the ground and start touching it or appreciating it. I guess that's my calling in the beginning. And I started the hobby officially about 15 or 16 years ago. It was really a bonus that I love plants, but it's also a coping mechanism for me. I go through a lot of anxiety when I was younger. I think most of us do at some point. Gardening was my zen moment. So I get to chill. I get to sometimes even think about my problems slower and not get so fussed up about it. While I'm doing gardening, mm. I do think about things and it kind of slows down and makes it better arranged in my head for some reason. Mm. And I managed to sort a lot of things out mentally through gardening. At the same time, it's an experience where you touch, you smell, you feel. There's a lot of things going on, so it's a whole experience. You don't feel you wasted time when you're doing gardening. You feel enriched, encouraged. And you feel like you will love yourself more because you're taking care of a living thing. But in another way, you're also taking care of yourself when you do that. I was going through all that when I was younger. And when the Little Botany account started out, before it was called Little Botany, it was called Fishy Fendi. Because I used to keep fish and it was a fish account. Nice. <laughs> yeah, so this is something that not many people know. It was called Fishy Fendi. <laughs> it's a very bad name, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. fishy is not yeah, really no, like, you no, know. No, no, no. I was a kid, so yeah. what do you think? Yeah. So Little Botany came about in 2014 or, or something. And then by 2017, 16, it became a plant account. It was slowly changing from fish to cat. There was a bit of cat here ah. and there. And then it became cat and plants and then became plants. So it was completely a hobby thing at yes, first. Yes, it was totally a hobby. Okay. It was never intended to be a business. Yeah. Okay, then this is where the question comes in. I know you are someone who's easily bored. Yes. Or you get restless and you just want more stimulation yeah. or challenge, right? I'm sure going into a plant business was not your only entrepreneur mm-hmm. idea. People in a personality are likely to have a lot of ideas. Mm-hmm. What made you think of using your hobby um, to become a business and why not another thing that you mm. might be even more proficient at? Because I assume not everyone gets to make their hobby their work. Mm-hmm. So I'm asking this question on behalf yep. of those people who struggle how to make this hobby pay mm. for itself. Okay, so like I said, it wasn't planned to be a business. The only reason why we registered as a business was because when we had the farm plot, they told us that you need to register as a business to get this land. Uh. So like... Okay, I guess I'll register myself and pay that $120 or $150. So we registered the business. It was still a hobby at the time. And when we were registered, we could use the land. And I was growing things like crazy. The cuttings, they're all rooting. And I'm like, you know what? I was already selling beforehand from home just to cover up for my cost mm. of the soil and all that. When you have a plot, you really have to cover the rent. That forced me to go into a business. But I'm blessed in that sense when prior to all this, I had so many jobs that kind of trained me for this because I was doing logistics, I was doing customer service, I was traveling. I had all the networking that I needed to just mm. push it. So when I finally sat down and think, well, let's do this, I had all the resources I need, the experience that I have, and that gave me the boost to actually just do it. What was that to lose, right? Just money, and I can get money back in that sense. Nice. So I was doing little bottom on the side when I was still working as a flight attendant back then. When I was doing the gardening side, when they gave me some form of fulfillment, I realized that it made my other job even happier too. That was something that was missing. When you find that fulfillment, it makes you happy in all your other aspects in life. You mean the plot that you got at Pongo mm. was still hobby face? Was still hobby face. That's an intense so, hobby face. Yeah, it was. Yeah, so you know, I, I go all out for, for the things I love. 
<laughs> you can go and re- uh, check out his uh, blog on Little mm. Botany on that shows his early days. I actually saw pictures and he was working with very little. Let's just put it that way. Yes, or yes. too much, um, yeah. depending on how you look at the problem yeah. that he had. We all have to start somewhere, you know. It's a foreign country that I went to, right, which is Thailand, and I don't speak their language. And I did learn their language, but once they know that I'm not Thai, they'll be like, hey, you're <laughs> cheating. You look like Thai, uh-huh. but you're not Thai. So I realised that you just have to be genuine about it. And it worked out for me just trying to get to know the people and form relationships and create resources for myself and the business from there. Fendi mentioned Thai or Thailand specifically because one of the ways he started growing his business was getting plants from Thailand, specifically Chatuchak Market. And if you read about the story, there were a lot of moments where he felt like he wanted to give up because it's torturous. I think he went at least once a month to yeah, do this buying month. trip yep. and he had no help. Uh, right at the start, during that phase when obviously you were transiting it to be a bit more commercial, what was that whole phase like? Because it's not a one trip that was torturous, right? Yeah. Every trip was torturous. Mm. Uh, how do you overcome that phase? And do you sort of tell yourself, okay, if it continues to be so hard, by the fifth trip, I'm still struggling, then I'll end it. Mm-mm. At that time, I wasn't putting any blocker because to me, it's something new. I have to try. And it, it wasn't easy. I don't know, I have a gut sense that it will get better eventually or that's just my inner voice telling me don't give up or my inner denial phase. I'm not sure. <laughs> but to me, I, I could see some form of light at the end of the tunnel while I was doing all that because to me, things don't come in easy. You have to really try and in any form of business, relationships need to be genuinely earned. I, I wanted to experience it and slowly get to know the people because I'm a foreigner at the day so they're a bit more hesitant. When they keep seeing me at the street and they start recognising me and they see that I always come every Tuesday, they're like, okay, it's the same guy and he probably want to get the same stuff. So they get the things ready at the front for me. And they realise that I'm not here to just buy plants and just sell them. I actually love the plants. They see that I, I actually genuinely love these species or the leaves. And I think the, the relationship of loving the plants, we connected on that level already. So when we do have that connection, that's when everything starts um, beautifully growing. The relationship, the business. And of course, it gets less strenuous, tiring or, or torturous. Yeah, so it started from genuine interactions. Mm. Yeah. And I was wondering, did you have any role models or business people you look up to that kept you going through the challenges of setting up your own company? Not not really. Because when we were starting out, I think there's a few of them in the mar- in the market at that time. I think Terrascape was one of them. And there was Far East Flora, the giant ones, right? Yeah. So there was nothing in between. But I think what really gave me inspiration when I was traveling, it's called Bar Botanics in Perth. And then there's this really beautiful nursery with glass panels and all that. The main thing that attracted me the most was there's this long table in the center where they use it as a community space. People come down and then they buy plants, but they also sit down and talk to other plant people that they probably met on that day or, or their plant friends they meet online, they meet in person there. And this little community building, it's not forced, it's very organic. And... I told myself, hey, I'm already doing this online on Instagram, like meeting plant people, becoming friends with them, doing plant swaps. We're just missing the place, you know. Instead of our houses, let me use botany. We already have this space that we are building. So when that idea came about, it became a community space. All the plant people were coming down. At that time, we get to know each other from there. Some became long-lasting friends. Some even work with me now. So it's crazy. That, that place in Perth inspired me because they have this mm. little community space. And I thought, if it just becomes purely a business, I might get bored a bit easily. But it became, it, became, it became a lifestyle, so that's why I, I drew inspiration from that. I think being a Singaporean does bring with it some perks. Uh, the fact that we have very intentional, almost sometimes forced greenery, yeah. I realised for my foreigner friends, they find it fascinating that there's so much effort put into 
making sure every road is lined with trees, whether or not it's a fancy tree or you, you even recognize the species, but it's extremely intentional. Mm. And I think when you grow up with it, you don't really appreciate it as much. But when you hear the comments from foreigners, then you realize, oh, actually it's true. When you think about other countries, they yeah. have greenery because it's an untouched state of nature. So o- obviously they have it. They just mm. didn't touch it. Yeah. Um, they were blessed with mm. that landscape. But for us, we literally have to create it. Mm. Uh, even the whole idea about Bougainvilliers, it's the overhead bridge flower. Then when you step back, you realize the beauty that surrounds us is is not to be taken for granted. Yeah. And I think it does a lot for the subconscious mental health of, of all of us, actually. Mm. Because the converse is true. If everywhere in Singapore was like the CBD, mm-hmm. where you prioritize construction of high-rise buildings, then I don't think we will feel as chill or as cozy where yeah, we I live. Yeah, we'll be extra stressed. Yeah. We don't have the, the green bricks that we need in these very urban green, communities. Yeah. I think the forest gardening does help us in a sense and also it does bring, bring us back to nature when we need to or even inspire us to start gardening just mm. from the forest nature that you call it happening to all of us. Yeah. Maybe I'll share a bit more about why the idea of gardening is also appealing to me. My family, particularly my dad and actually my grandma, were huge plant people. They grew very typical, honestly, Chinese family plants like money plant. Because, you know, the idea of having a plant that's called money plant is very exciting because they feel like if your money plant grows well, you will be very hot. And they can actually make you very excited. They mm. can brighten your day when they grow well. And then when they don't grow well, it's like your child falling sick. You really go and yep. Google, yeah. you monitor, you check on it. And I realised it really does help a lot with bringing your mind to the present. Mm-hmm. Like what Fendi mentioned earlier, you are in that moment, it slows you down because you can't be rough with a plant. It will just yes. absolutely die. And yet you cannot rush it. It's the beauty of time. We are right. often very impatient because we are city people, but I think plants always ground you back. You just hope it grows well, but well is relative to each species mm. and there's really nothing you can do. You cannot expedite. And if it refuses to flower, then you just got to wait. And I think it's also humbling, the, the idea of gardening. I remember specifically this moment in time during COVID where this whole idea of gardening and having plants just exploded. Mm. And I think during that phase was also the time when the whole trend of luxury plants, I'm not sure what's the correct term, um, came about. And I think Fendi was also mentioned in an article recently about um, the rise and fall of the prices of um, all these luxury plants. Mm. As a business, was it something that was surprising to you? And how do you actually manoeuvre around your... We acted on it. I have to learn to separate the two, hobby and a business. You have to, you have no choice because if not, you won't survive as business, but you'll be happy as hobbies or you'll be upset as hobbies, but happy with business. So we try to balance it out. For us specifically, when COVID happened, we were given this really big boost because we were the only ones at that time that were online. Everyone's just buying stuff from us online and we're just doing deliveries every day, sending the plants out. And it helped us really grow as a business really quickly so that we can get Little Botany done at the space itself on time. And there was this major search for these exotic plants that were very expensive at that time. As a business, I have to maneuver to that too. The plant species are called aeroids. They are genus aeroids. So the philodendron, all these anthuriums, they're all under this category of aeroids. And they were very, very popular at the time and very expensive. Is a monstera? And, yes. And, okay, yes, yes, because I think that's the gateway exotic plant for, yeah. I would say, at least people around me. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, so all those up with the white leaves, the variegated yeah. ones. So, yeah, there was a huge craze at that time. I still remember when we were releasing a certain species that we ordered on, from Thailand and then we couldn't find it anywhere else. There were long queues outside the shop and they ran out on the day itself. 
and people were reselling them even on Carousel oh. right after. <laughs> but we have to adapt to that strategy. We still have our little things that we like. As a hobbyist, I like unique small trees that you can't see normally but not very expensive. We kind of stick that in between at that time trendy plants because I still think that there's a, f- a few people that are willing to try something else. And we call it little botany, you know. Little botany, botany means studies of plants and little means small and mm-hmm. tiny. So to me, little botany is like little studies of plants. We always learn uh. something and find something interesting and to share with the community. So we did pivot into bringing these exotic plants in, but that was only half of what we bring in. The other half was still the things that we like. As we are feeding the masses at that time, we are also feeding them information about new things that they do not know of, plants they never heard of. We kind of slowly poison them as well <laughs> to come to the light side. They're not the dark side, right? Yeah. Um, so when the whole era thing crashed, prices were dropping and businesses were closing, we were quite smart because I knew for a fact that these prices were inflated because mm. I've been in the plant community for so long. I invested what I needed and didn't invest anymore. Because I saw a trend that's going to happen. And you kind of predict it. It's a bit like crypto. When there's so many of us, something's about to happen. The bubble will burst. I was prepared and ready for mm. that. So when it did really happen, we could still survive. And now it's back to organics that people learning um, plants for what they are and not because of a trend. Yeah. So how do you know if someone that comes to your store and asks you questions, that they really like plants? Or are they just there to... Make a quick buck. Are there signs that you can tell? And yeah, we can. And we cannot do anything about it. That's but true, yeah. the most important thing that I learned from these years, if they are reselling my plants, it's okay. Are they happy? If they are, that's, that, then my job is done. That's the end game. That's all I ask for. And if someone else buys that plant, uh, if they're unhappy because they buy t- times three the price of what I'm selling, that's their problem. <laughs> but at the point in time when the person is buying the plant, you just want them to be happy because mm. that's ultimately the goal, to share this hobby. Mm. And even if they don't keep it for a long term, they might inspire someone else and that person can come back to us also. We are a small community so you're bound to see them at some point. I think the interesting thing about plants is that they truly are for everyone. People from any background, any kind of life experience can enjoy a plant. I find it a very safe space. Even tending to a small plant, I realise, has its own healing power. I always knew that it was beneficial for you but now I'm just starting to see why people actually do it for decades. Mm. Anyone can do it and and you don't have to be coming from a certain background even if you're someone that comes with no money it's one of those hobbies where you can really start from scratch mm. without having to spend a lot because the meaning and the purpose will still be the same regardless of what plan it is so no one get left behind with this hobby I have a self-professed black thumb basically the opposite of a green thumb I don't know what about me is so bad at growing plants I think I overcompensate when I see a plant. I always feel like it needs something from me. I should give it water. Mm. I should give it sun. So I keep moving it around. Mm. Instead of giving it time to adjust, I'm just trying to fix it. What tips do you have for people who are self-professed black thumbs like me? It's not necessarily a tip because I'm coming from a human perspective. I feel like you're someone that cares a lot, have a lot of love to give. So that poor plant had too much love. <laughs> when you're someone that loves a lot and cares a lot and you really, really want to take care of the plant, you always end up overwatering it. That's the things I've seen from my observations. So if you're someone that loves a lot, get plants that are thirsty. So you won't kill them or overwater them. If you're someone that wants a plant as an accessory, not really like a lifestyle, then get something that doesn't drink so much water, something that's easy like a ZZ plant or something like a Sensevera where you just leave it at the corner, water once a week and they're still fine. I think finding the plants that match your personality or the amount of love you like to give 
it will really benefit your gardening experience. Mm. And you actually find a lot of plants that align to your personality. And then that's how you realise that, hey, there is a certain type of plants for me. So that's the tip I, I say. If you are a person that loves so much, get plants that are thirsty. If you're a person that just wants a plant as an accessory, then get plants that you don't need to water so much. That's such a good tip. I've never thought of it that way. Mm. There are enough plants out there that will suit Cater you. to you. I feel so stressed out that I'm not just, doing you well. You just haven't found the right plants. It's just like animals in that sense where mm. you're finding your pet. Not all pets are for you. Yeah. So same goes for plants. There will be plants that are not meant for you and the, the plants that will cater to your lifestyle and your needs. They realise that will actually help you a lot in your gardening journey. If you read about Fendi's story online, he does quite openly share about things that she struggled with generally being quite anxious, bored. One of the other things that he used to struggle with, he said, was that he was very shy. And when he was doing his first foray into the crazy Chatuchak market business of buying plants, he used to be so shy that he would not even ask people for help. And he would just push himself to carry all the plants alone through that heat. And I wondered if he could choose to talk to anyone in life that he will meet from now, with absolute unwavering confidence or be able to talk to plants somehow and understand them, which of the two would you choose? It's a very tough question, actually. <laughs> Honestly, I would probably choose to be more confident and talk to people. The reason why I love plants was because there's always something to learn. There's this curiosity about plants that makes me attracted to them. And it's always a learning journey with plants. So if I know everything about plants, then I might not be interested after that. <laughs> I want it to be a mysterious thing. And I always feel like nature is mysterious in that sense. You're always learning and always finding something new about it. So I would pick being confident and being able to talk to people because that might even make me learn about plants even better through meeting people. Because some people know more stuff than I do in certain levels or certain uh, fields in the plant game. So yeah, I'll pick being confident over knowing everything or speaking to plants. Yeah, I never thought about it that way, that the allure of interacting with plants is that they actually cannot communicate with you and you somehow have to... I mean, they can communicate with you, I guess, mm. to their... To a certain extent. To their yeah. appearances. Yes. But there's always a gap. And I think that gap is the mystery that Fendi yes. is talking about. You yeah. almost have to go with a bit of gut and then try to sense it. It did make me realise after he explained that if you can communicate with them, then it becomes more like a transactional relationship. That was a very interesting answer. Another thing I wanted to also talk about was I was at Suntec City the other day and I was walking past this area where there were a few vending machines and one of the vending machines that caught my eye was a vending machine that sold plants. And I knew this beforehand, but Little Botany actually has gone into the vending machine side of things. So if you walk around some areas, you will bump into his vending machine with a very good welcome screen tagline, which I'll get Fendi to share with you. But I thought it was very interesting because I would have never in my 30 years of living think that there'll be a day where a vending machine would sell live plants. I'm just curious, mm-hmm. where do you see this going? Do you see Little Botany as um, having all these vending machines all over Singapore? The vending machine idea has been with me for a long time. Uh, for those who do not know, there is another vending machine that sells plants initially. I think they still do it now, selling succulents. Succulents are something that are not my type of plants because not everyone of us can keep it. Most of them don't survive in our climate and they just die off. <laughs> For me, I wanted to expand as a business and also get the word out of Little Botany. And I've been testing this material. I have it with us now. It's little stones. They are soilless and mm. they are more eco-friendly version of gardening. So you save a lot of water. You save the earth. You don't use soil. At the same time, you can reuse all your jars at home to make them to new plant homes. And I was thinking, how do I 
get this word out besides social media. People can see on photos, but they can't really see in real life. Hmm. The vending machine came about when uh, one of my customers said, hey, have you ever thought of doing a, a plant vending machine? And he said, that I can bring a vending machine for you. Let's collaborate and do something about this. Cool. And that's how the vending machine came about. The vending machine itself uses a little bit of power, LED lights. In terms of electricity consumption, it's only $30 a month. You don't spend so much power. And in this new technology that we're keeping plants in, they can survive in the vending machine. Oh. Um, they can actually live in there. Even if no one buys that plant for one month, it's happily thriving, growing new leaves. And it's also more cost efficient as opposed to opening a shop. If you open a shop, you're paying for rent. This is a more sustainable model to open up tiny shops. And if it's a little botany brand, because everything's little, right? We don't open everywhere. We are quite particular where we open the machines because you want it to be associated with a certain lifestyle. So Suntec City itself is a standalone machine. But if our other vending machines, it's a collaboration with the particular business that's around mm. it. So the one that is North Bridge is with um, a restaurant. And there's one in Waterway Point, um, which is in Times, where there's a lot of education books and children. Because plants can be educational too. And there's one more that's coming up. We are aligning with a coffee. Because I would love to drink coffee next to a plant that's on my table. Mm. To me, it's a whole vibe. On yeah. its own. Coffee comes from growing plants. Precisely. It circles back to growing. So we are actually collaborating with a coffee person. I can't tell you much right now, but yes. <laughs> Stay so tuned. The machines don't sell out and I want to make it exclusive in that sense. Not mm. everyone can get this machine because these are not mass productions. Every machine is decorated, hand-drawn by me on my tablet and then blown up to the machines. Every machine has its own unique traits, drawing and branding that associates with that lifestyle. I also just learned from Fendi that he personally prepares the plants for each of these machines yep. uh, when he goes to top them up. Everything he puts out there is good stuff only, even yeah, if you're buttering earrings. Freak, right? <laughs> yeah, but you can be a cheapskate control freak. When I walked past the vending machine, I was looking in and I was like, wow, all the plants look so good. I wanted to ask him, how are the plants still alive and they look as if someone just put them in. Yep. So now I guess I know the trick. Yeah, just the layman term, this mix, I'll just put it very briefly, mm. it has a way of holding nutrients and holding water without drowning the plants. So it actually mm. gives the plants water and nutrients only when it needs it. So you're not drowning the plant and they can happily grow in that media and grow beneficial bacteria in there and 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 thrive. Maybe yeah. that's why my plant is still alive. <laughs> it's not me, Fendi. No, no, it's no. The, but you, the, the human element still plays a part, you know, because they are living things and they still need your help. Okay. And I think they're only happier because there's human around maybe. <laughs> this is just my own connection with plants. Like, yeah. yeah. So when I was on the Little Botany website, I actually live near his plot and I was just looking through how I can get there and then noticed something very interesting on the Little Botany website, which for a small business, I have almost never seen before. There are two tabs, one tab that says charity work and one tab that says supporting local and it totally caught my eye. I was like, what is that about? And I went to click in and I realised that Fendi and the Little Botany are always out there doing things to help the community. I know they collaborate and are very intentional about the pop-ups that they go to, the partners that they work with, whether is it hospice care or mm. even events that promote general wellness and mental health, mm. they are always there. And I also read in an article on Netler that Fendi said one of his must-dos when he was profitable was to immediately give back the profits in one way or another. And I think one of the, his main starting beneficiaries were actually animals. Yeah. I just wanted to ask, why are you like this? I mean, as an entrepreneur and as a business owner, what is also very natural is earning profits and turning mm. that profits into more profits. Yeah. CSR, I can say for a fact, uh, is not even something that bigger corporations 
even think about. A mm. lot of them, their hand is forced yep. when they reach the MNC level and the public is calling them out and asking mm. them, what are you doing for the community after earning mm. all our money for decades? Yep. But for Little Botany, it's the opposite. The very second they could, they did that first rather than wait for, oh, DeFi stores around Southeast Asia, then mm. they do one little CSR thing. It's almost yep. as if they are doing it backwards. Honestly, I don't give it too much thought. To me, being charitable is not a business thing, it's more a personal thing. If I could have the means to do it, I'll do it. Even if it's not Little Botany, I'll do it anyway because... I can relate in that sense, you know, growing up with not so much. And when I could give help, I give as much as I can. So it's just a, a thing that I do. I can't explain it. It's just part of my personality. I do think that whatever help you can give, we give it. There's really nothing to say, to be honest. It's just what I like to do. But it brings me fulfillment in that sense, personally. But what it does is when you do community charity, you bring awareness to the cause with the following that you have. For example, if we save our street dogs, you're actually interwoving two communities together, the animal community and the plant community. So this combination of communities, it's so beneficial to any form of movement because you are creating a bigger community that helps even more. Honestly, I have not much to say about this because like I said, it's just a personality thing. I have to donate if I could because I just want to help if I can. I think any normal human wants to do that. No, if, if they, if that, they can. you give humans way too much credit. I can tell you for a fact that people with way more than you, both as a business and in life, would not even be as prompt and as willing. It's natural for to you? To me, it's natural. That's why okay. I, I find it very odd when someone says that you do a lot of charity. I'm like, no, this is normal in my mind. It just makes it easier for me to do charity with a business as compared to me doing it myself. Because if I do it myself, the impact is lesser. Monetary and also awareness, when I bring the business in, it, it gets amplified. And it's not the money per se, it's really the movement and also the awareness that plays an important part in the long term. So mm. when I do this one charity, it lives on, they keep doing it in the future and it just never stops. Mm. And that's how charities don't die out if you bring awareness to them. Yeah. A theme that always comes up in your interviews that I've read is that you are a self-professed introvert. Mm-hmm. And... I wonder if you feel sometimes that is a detriment to both you as a business owner and even for all the volunteering work that you do. Do you think so? Yes, actually, till today, I still struggle in that extent. If I were to open a shop, I always have an hour before to calm myself down and to be in a zone. So I do these little exercises before doing any event. Like even before meeting you, thank you for bringing me out to lunch. That lunch moment really calmed me down and get me ready for this uh, podcast today. But as introverts, we need our moments to kind of zen out and to calm down and, and not get anxious because the anxiety is the one that controls you when you are introverted. It comes out in moments, even right now, <laughs> it comes out in moments and I always try to calm myself down. And having this plant on the table does help. That's why mm. I put it on the table here. So um, gardening is a natural grounding agent for me if I'm anxious. So see, I lost track of what you were asking me earlier. But yes, I still deal with it daily. Mm. It's something that we have to cope. It's not a bad thing necessarily because I think when you're introvert and then when you do come out from your shell, it comes off as really genuine because you are really putting yourself out there. Some people can fake certain things and I think being introvert is very hard to fake things because it's not your personality. So when I do come out from my shell and, and do all this charity work or talking to media, it's really 100% still me. Yeah, or a caffeinated version of me. Yeah, <laughs> strongly caffeinated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then I have my second hypothetical question in line with this. Mm. If one day a genie came up to you and said, you know, Fendi, um, I want to grant you a wish. Since you are struggling with this anxiety and being introverted, I want to help you. I would make you more extroverted and 
you'll be so effortless around any kind of social interactions. Mm-hmm. But something about your current existing personality will change or be removed from you. Mm. Would you take up this genie's offer? Oh, that's, t- that's tough. I think I won't take the offer because Whoa. what if I become a douchebag after this, you know? So if I would take the offer and have all the confidence in the world, I might not be who I am today mm. or I'll be really annoying. So you are okay to keep having this struggle by your um, side? I would, yeah, it's a struggle but also it's also a good barrier because if you are so out there, sometimes you are so open to target and, and mm. you can get, get easily triggered. I think being introverted kind of naturally builds this immunity to negativity and you're always protected in that sense so this is my version of being introverted I protect myself naturally and also there's this gut that prevents me from being a douchebag <laughs> it's like it, your filter right filter, you cannot like, even hey, be one like, yeah, you need to no. be more extroverted yeah, if I become if I'm 100% confident I can purely uh, say I'll be a use a bad word here I'll be a douche yeah, yeah. <laughs> a douchebag I can relate to that feeling because I think confidence can both be a boon and yes, a bane, right? Correct. I have actually two more specific questions about your journey. One is, what would you say to someone who is on that same trajectory as you, done something for eight years, mm-hmm. is feeling bored, disengaged, but also, wow, what lies ahead is so unknown. Mm. I know you said, what's the most you could lose? Honestly, it's just money for now. Mm. But I'm sure there's a, huge leap of faith that you had to do whether internally or externally investing Mm. in a business do you have any other advice for someone that might be going through the same thing as you did Mm. the cliche answer is passion it's the passion that that brings you to a certain extent my main motivation now is just really sharing these hobbies because it helped me and I'm sure you can help others so if you have a business that you think is beneficial to society or the community then I will ask you to go for it because when it's in that path of helping others, it will never be two ways because that one person can help someone else just by a leaf or a cutting. If your business model falls similar to mine, then do it. It will be fulfilling even if you fail because I have moments where I fail in between and I, I go back up and try again. But I've never found that it's wasteful because it builds my character and makes me even more... Hardy. Hardy, yeah. You can't put me down and there are little struggles that I've been through which I won't elaborate but it does help me and it will help you so just do it if there's some form of link to community or helping others but if it's not in that path where it's just purely money then I'm sorry I can't offer you any advice mm. <laughs> because if it's just purely money then you will not find some fulfillment maybe that money might motivate you to help others that could be other thing altogether but if it links to community work then keep doing it because it will benefit someone and it probably have already yeah Mm. What are some things about the plant industry that surprised you when you were first going into it? Surprising can be bad and good, I guess, right? Mm. So I think for me, the most surprising thing when I started out, I didn't realise that there were no other Malays in the business. I was very minority at that time and I get a lot of questions where people always ask me, why are you doing this? I, I thought you should be selling food or something. That's These are the so very terrible. negative. Yeah, I get that a lot. Till today, people will still go to me and ask me, Hey, can I speak to your boss? Because they cannot accept that <laughs> it's someone of a different race that is being a business owner of a certain kind of field. But these things are slowly changing and I would like to say that when we started out, there was only a few of us. At that time, I don't know anyone else that's of minority race. But I think those the reason why I still pursued it anyway because I wanted people to know that everyone can do it, not just a specific group of people. If you look nowadays, uh, there are a lot more inclusivity in the scene and I'm happy 
I don't take credit for it, <laughs> but a I a bit, maybe a bit. But uh, I do think that was a thing that surprised me because I didn't know the I, I was a minority. Now even. that you mention, mm. I can see it. Yes, because it doesn't occur to you, right? Yeah, I would yeah, never it think occur of. To me too. I was very happy with my garden. I didn't know that until someone tell me, shouldn't you be selling food? Then I'm like, why? Because you're Malay. You know, in that sense, that's just how it is. And times are changing. That's probably the boomer era. <laughs> Uh, but uh, the millennials and the Gen Zs, we are yeah. changing the uh, scene. So um, now I think it's very vibrant. It's a lovely community of different types of people. And I'm happy that it led to that. Because I feel if we didn't try, maybe these other people would not try it too. Mm. It might have been a much slower burn. Yes, correct. And yeah. that was the surprise that I had when I first started out. That negativity turned to a positive. Mm. So it's still positive every day. And mm. I look at it that you way. You stand out, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. In, but, but I want to know that no, we can do it too. So, yeah. yeah. That was the positive experience that came up from a negative surprise. Yeah. Cool. So, now I get into the last segment of the show where I get Fendi to answer a few questions based on my, I call it the autograph book section. I'm going to go through the four questions and then Fendi will share his answer with you. So, Fendi, if there's a book that you can recommend anyone to read, what would it be and why? Okay, I would say The Alchemist because... I don't read much books and it was the last book I read. <laughs> That's such um, a good book though. So what a good last book actually. Yeah, I know. Honestly, I'm more of a manga person. I like to read a lot of mangas and, and comics. Not What's your favourite manga? Oh, there's so many. No, I you have to choose. No, I cannot. Really, really he cannot. cannot eh? yeah. <laughs> he looks very I'm, serious I'm by the, the way. I'm the kind where like, okay, what manga should I cover today? And then I'll go into like 13, 13 books or chapters then i forget about the other one. I won't share my favourite manga but I do read a lot of mangas mm. and, and I draw inspiration from them for my drawings. But books, the alchemist, the reason why I chose that was because I love to escape. Gardening was my escape. So it's very similar to when it comes to reading. I want to be transported to a different world I want to be something that cannot be in real life, like a mage, for example. Mm. <laughs> I want to have powers. You know, it's very childish. I wouldn't say childish is an escape to reality. I think Childlike, everyone, maybe. Childlike, maybe, yeah. yeah. And all of us want to have an escape every once in a while. And my escape was through books, a fantasy world. And it revolves a lot around the movies I watch too. So if you want an escape from whatever that's happening to you right now, books can help you with that. Or movies, uh, to me, was The Alchemist. Yeah. Cool. If you could re- be remembered for one thing, what would you want to be remembered for and why? Um, I Honestly, just being kind. Because kindness goes a long way. If you try to remember things, it's always, oh, this person helped me the other time or this person gave me the direction when I was lost. These are all little acts of kindness that goes a long way. Because number one, we get caught up in our life, in work, in being busy that we forget to be kind sometimes. And when we do receive kindness, even though we don't deserve it, we remember it. And that really reminds me to, hey, you know what, this person helped me without any form of asking for anything in return. We should be kind because we can. We have the capacity to, just that we forget about it. So I want to remember for being kind because that would also remind you to be kind, I guess. It sounds very basic, but it goes a long way. Yeah. Yep. If there's one thing you could attempt mm-hmm. and you know you would never fail, what is the one thing you would try to do and why? Our soft world hunger. Why? Because, look, we throw excess food all the time. In Singapore, we just throw food as and when you want. We have abundance of food. Let's not go into details how we can solve it, but I think there's something that I would love to solve. We really desperately need to solve world hunger. Yeah, I sound like a pageant queen right now, but yeah. no world peace and all. But yes, this <laughs> is true. like it's facts. We have to find yeah. a way to solve yeah. this, and we can. It's just with circumstances and 
policies and government bodies that's preventing this from happening around the world. So yeah, I want to solve world hunger if I can do something without failing. Mm. Yeah. The last question is a passed down hypothetical question for my previous guest. Mm. If you could learn from a past hurt, what would it be? You don't have to share specifically too much about the hurt. Mm. To be honest, that's a very, very deep but also vague question. If I were to just think of the top of my head, because we're already in this conversation with, with the community and all, I'll give you a scenario when I was building the space, a lady asked me, hey, what are you doing? Oh, I'm building a farm. And then she's like, but why? Usually your people don't do these kind of things. So that actually hurt me because why am I being categorized to do something else when I can do anything I want? And how I learned to cope from that hurt was I took that negative experience and turned it to positive. That person was still there, but we grew. We, I built a spot, I built a plot, I persevered and it became successful. Not to rub it in her face, but to show her that we are both the same. I don't see why you should question me that way. So instead of throwing that hurt back to her, I want to show her that, hey, we can do this together. You opened her mind probably. Yeah, and then we became good neighbours after that. It kind of fueled me, but in a positive way, not a negative way. I didn't want to be successful just to throw it right back at her that yeah, I can do it. But it gave you a bit of that extra yeah. oomph that yeah, you need, right? Just a bit of fuel. To, it has one that pressure for me to finish the space and it, it became positive. Mm. And then if it surprises her, then that's good on her that, to know that we can do it too. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't blame her. She probably has this preconceived notion mm. of, of us or of me based on the upbringing. Mm. So if I could make her think otherwise, then I could change the mindset for a lot of people. Yeah, and you, you be... save other people from her. Race, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't use that word because in her terms, it wasn't. But it, it could be racism for other people. Yeah. I, I try not to take it that way, but mm. it, I mean, it is what it is, right? Yeah, but, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> I try not to linger on that word for so long because I know that these people have not been exposed to my community, probably. So let me show you the beauty of my community mm. and how we can be lovely neighbours. And we did become lovely neighbours after that. Okay. And I hope that it changed her perception of the people from my community. And I took it positively and I changed that hurt to something beautiful every day. Yeah. Great. And with that, we've come to the end of today's show. I want to thank Fendi again for his precious time. He's wait, doing wait, this wait, on wait. and off day, by the way. You're supposed to ask me what does the machine says right on the screen. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that shall be the closing. <laughs> okay. That shall be the closing. Like, it's so good. But we say that it's because we are both millennials and oh, yeah. we like these cheesy puns. Yes, we are cringe. Sometimes. Yeah, we, are, we can be cringe. But it was a great time. Fendi was really busy and he's doing this on his precious off day and had to drink two ice lattes to psych himself up for this record. Good coffee though. I just want to thank Fendi for his time and he will cue us out with that winning line on his machine. Okay, so if you go to our vending machine, there'll be an LED screen that pops up and the first thing you see is this wording that says, Bought any plants lately? <laughs> Bought any plants lately? Bought any plants lately? Okay, this is a cringe moment right now. Yeah, as we both relish in it. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye. Bye. You are listening to my time together with my new friend, plant inspiration and guide, Fendi of Little Botany. He's a kind, big-hearted and genuine person with a wonderful personality and soul. His heart for the communities both in and outside of his work has been a timely reminder of what's truly important. I hope you've learned something today and would one day benefit from having your own little plant paradise. Thank you for joining me on this incredible journey into the realm of the hypothetical. I'm Gillian, and remember to keep exploring the extraordinary possibilities of a what-if.